You're listening to a sermon from LifeGate Church of Seguin, Texas. This sermon was preached by Joshua Jordan, who serves as the lead pastor at LifeGate Church. Find out more about us at www.lifegateseguin.com. If you have a Bible with you, you'll make your way to the Gospel according to Luke. Gospel according to Luke chapter 8. Our scripture text this morning is verses 22 through 25. Gospel according to Luke chapter 8. I want to read verses 22 through 25. And as I do, church, this is God's holy, inspired, and authoritative word that we are now hearing. One day, he, being Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him up, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke. And he rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, where's your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obey Him. May God bless the preaching of His Word. Todd Miles is probably not a name you're familiar with. I wouldn't expect that to be the case. But Todd Miles is a theology professor at Western Seminary in Portland, Oregon. I know of Todd Miles because he wrote a book that is near and dear to my heart. Now, the book he wrote is not an ordinary theology book, quite the contrary. See, here's how this book that Dr. Miles wrote came about. He had one of those light bulb moments a number of years ago, and that moment became the impetus for the book he wrote. And the book is entitled, Superheroes Can't Save You, subtitled, Epic Examples of Historic Heresies. I brought the book, it looks like a comic book on the front. Superheroes can't save you. Epic examples of historic heresies. And what's so unique about this book is that it it connects two worlds, or, or better yet, two topics that to my knowledge, no one has ever brought together before. And what are those two topics that he brought together that I've never seen anybody bring together before comic book heroes, and ancient heresies about Jesus. See, here's how this moment came about for Todd Miles. You you need to know this about Dr. Miles. He grew up collecting comic books. And some of his favorite comic books were were the superhero ones like Superman and Batman and Spider-Man. And he had quite a collection. But here's what else you need to know about Dr. Miles. He is a passionate follower of Jesus Christ, and he has the privilege of teaching at a seminary. 
And one of the subjects that Dr. Miles teaches on is the doctrine of Christ. And in that class, he informs his student about the ancient heresies that were sometimes taught regarding the person and work of Jesus. Now let me just say a word about these heresies. Heresies, once again, are false views of Jesus. And many of these heresies came about very early in in the church as different influential teachers began to explain who they thought Jesus was using human methods and models to explain Him. And as soon as one of these heresies was taught, and as soon as it gained popularity, the church without fail always rejected and refuted them by calling together a council, and from that council came creeds. And one of those creeds we sang this morning was the Apostles' Creed. And these creeds came about, and what they did is they denied this heresy, and they affirmed a right belief about Jesus. Now back to this book that Dr. Miles wrote. Dr. Miles one day realized that many of the ancient heresies, this is where the light bulb moment came in, he he realized that many of these heresies like Arianism and Apollinarianism and modalism, they all could be explained by comparing this heresy about Jesus with a comic book superhero. It's actually quite brilliant. He could say, this heresy... Treated Jesus like Superman. If you know who Superman is, he might have been great, but Jesus isn't like Superman. And another heresy said that Jesus was like this, and you could say, "But, but Jesus isn't like this. And the point that was being made throughout the entire book from start to finish is this. If Jesus is like any kind of comic book hero, he cannot save us. He can't save us. Now, if you're wondering why I took the first few minutes of this sermon to tell you about this book, well, it's for this reason. We must not read Luke chapter 8, verses 22 22 through 25, like a comic book superhero story. This is not a story about some men who are in need of rescue. They find themselves in this boat... And they are in dire straits. If something doesn't happen, they're going to drown unless someone comes to save them. So what do they do? They call on the hero of the story to come to their aid. And he comes and he rescues them right at the nick of time. And they are saved from danger. And by doing so, he proves to be a superhero and they live happily ever after. That's not how we should read this story this morning. That makes for a great comic book hero. But that's not the message of Christianity. Listen, Jesus Christ is not a fictitious ancient superhero. Jesus is not a superhero because superheroes, as thrilling as they may be, superheroes can't save. Or at least not in the way that we need salvation. See, the salvation we need and the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ is far greater than something some superhero 
could ever offer. See, what we encounter in today's story is far more than just a miraculous rescue. What we encounter today is a miraculous display of revelation about Jesus. See, this isn't a story about a miraculous rescue by Jesus. This is a story about a miraculous revelation about Jesus. And this display of revelation, listen, this display demands a very specific response from those who experienced it. That's what we see in this text. There is an incredible display of revelation, and that revelation demanded a response. So therefore, we're going to break up, in light of that truth, we're going to break up the text this morning into two halves. If you're taking notes, here's our outline this morning. Verses 22 22 through 24, we see a revelation about Christ. And then in verse 25, our response to Christ. Let's begin by going back to verses 22 through 24 and seeing this revelation about Christ. Let me begin by situating this particular story within the larger narrative. See, I believe Luke places this story at this point in the narrative. If if you could see it this way, Luke, Luke places this story here to function like a literary bridge, connecting two important themes, a theme he's just addressed for a number of verses, and now he's about to address a new theme, and this story bridges those two themes. For example, back in chapter 8, Beginning in verse 4 all the way through verse 21, Luke highlighted this theme of revelation and response. And we see that in today's text. There is a revelation that demands a response. But then here in verse 22 through 25, we we not just come to this same theme of revelation and response. We come to the pinnacle of revelation from God. So every time Jesus was saying, There is a revelation that God gives His people. It's like a seed being sown. It's like a light that's being seen. What what is this this word, which is what the seed represented? What is this word that we are to respond to? It's not just the word of God. It is Jesus Himself. Jesus is the ultimate expression of revelation from God. But now... This passage not only ties to last week's theme, it now bridges to a new theme. See, here in chapter 8, verses 22 through 25, a new theme emerges. We we discover today that Jesus has authority over the natural world. And you know what we're going to see next week? He has authority over the spiritual world when he cast out a demon from a man. And you know what we're going to see the next week? Jesus has authority over sickness and death. See, there's this new theme that's being bridged between this passage that looks back to last week and a new theme that's beginning. Jesus has authority. See, Jesus is being revealed to us in all of His splendor and all of His greatness as one who has ultimate Authority. He has authority over the natural world, the spiritual world, over disease and death. And what we see here today, 
And what we will see over the next few weeks, it demands a response. Once we understand this revelation of Jesus and who He is and the authority He has, we don't just sit back and go, okay, that's good to know. It it demands a response. So let's go back now to verse 22 and 23. And let's see this revelation unfold. We're told by Luke, one day, Jesus got into a boat with His disciples and He said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, He fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. So here's what's happening. We're not told exactly when this story took place, but at some point, Jesus wants to go in a boat from one side to the other. And we're we're not told by Luke what this lake is, but we know by having the same story in Matthew and Mark, this is the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus wants to go from one side to the other. But as they're making their way across, we're told this storm comes up. And if you know the terrain of the Sea of Galilee, because of how low it is and the mountainous areas that are right around, when winds blow, they come down. And when they come down, they don't just create a storm, they create a wicked storm, one that could sink your boat. Remember, the guys that are crying out for help in this story, many of them are fishermen. They've seen some bad storms before. They're not just simply overreacting. This is one of those storms that that could easily have just sunk their boat because the waves are just crashing in and the water is filling the boat probably faster than they can get the water out. And all the while, we're told Jesus was asleep. Now, what do we discover about Jesus through this image of him asleep in the boat? Is that just a throwaway detail that Luke was telling us this story? Oh, yeah, and by the way, Jesus was asleep. No, I think something crucial is being communicated here. And I think it's something simple right in front of our eyes we can miss. What is it? Why is Jesus asleep in the boat Because he's a real person. He's tired. How tired do you have to be to be in a boat that's rocking back and forth and everyone else in the boat is freaking out and you're asleep? You had a long weekend if that's the case. So let's not miss the obvious. There are other implications about Jesus being asleep in the boat. But, but for now, let's just take in this fact that Jesus was exhausted. Jesus was truly man. As all of the ancient creeds confess, Jesus was truly man. He didn't just look like a man, like some of the heresies taught. He's truly man. But He's also truly God. Look at verse 24. We see His humanity and now we turn around and see His deity. What did the disciples do? They went and they woke Him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Notice what He does. And He awoke 
and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. Did you notice what Jesus did not do when they woke him up? Don't miss this. He did not pray to God. God calls a miracle. Why did Jesus not pray to God in that moment? Because he is God. He's doing what only God can do. He might have been asleep in the boat, which shows he was a real person. And then five seconds later, we go, okay, that's not just a normal man. Do you see what's happening in this boat? We see the true humanity of Jesus on display. And we see the, the true deity of Jesus on display. Which is why Luke tells us that Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves. And not only did he rebuke them, they obeyed. And everyone reading Luke's account would have understood no one no one can do that except for God. This is not just a miracle. Like somebody praying for someone who's sick and they, they get healed. Their eyes are, are, are blind and now they can see. No one did this kind of miracle. Only God can do this. For example, in Psalm 107, verses 23 through 29, listen to this. There are many examples of this. This is just one. We read in the Psalms. It says, some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works of the deep. For He commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. Then they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunk men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and He delivered them from their distress. Verse 29, He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Psalm 107. Does that not sound exactly like what Jesus just did? Only Yahweh can do that. And here's Jesus, one minute asleep. And now he gets up to the sound of his disciples frantic and says, Storm enough. It obeys immediately. See, this miracle story reveals to us the true identity of Jesus. Jesus Christ is truly God and truly man. Jesus Christ is not superhuman. He's not a superhero. He is God the Son incarnate. That's what we clearly take away from this story. Jesus is God, the Son of incarnate. And it's only when we come to this realization about His true identity that we can respond to Him with faith. And that brings us now to verse 25 and our response to Christ. At the beginning of verse 25, after this storm has ceased, we're told that Jesus asked his disciples a question. Here's what he asked them. Where is your faith? 
Now, by asking them this question, he, he, he appears to be bringing a mild rebuke to them. Why would he be rebuking them? Well, if you catch the context in verse 24, their, 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 their frantic state shows us that th- these, these men in that moment weren't turning to him. They weren't saying, hey, Jesus, get up and do something. They're thinking, Jesus, we're, we're going under. Though they've seen him do all these miracles, they don't turn to him and ask him, Jesus, do something. In this moment, they become frantic. Now listen, we, we must not hear this question from Jesus, where is your faith, and assume that Jesus is questioning whether or not his disciples ever placed their faith in him at all. That's not what he's saying. We, we have examples up to this point that his disciples had placed their faith in him. Here's what Jesus means when he says, where is your faith? He's saying right now in this moment, your faith needs to be exercised. I know you put your faith in me when I first called you. I know there have been many times since you've been walking with me, you put your faith in me. Great, good. Right now, this moment, you need faith. Faith needs to be exercised at this very moment. I love what a commentator who wrote on the Gospel of Luke named Daryl Bach, he suggests that we understand this question by Jesus as if Jesus were saying with, with that expression, where is your faith? It's almost like he's saying, you should be more trusting of me. You think I want to get you on this boat? To let you sink. You think I'm just sleeping because I don't care? Just giving up. I've done some miracles. Now I'm done. Now in this moment, you should be more trusting of me. In other words, Jesus was saying to his disciples, the trial you just experienced should have caused you to trust me more. This very moment of you feeling the panic, this very moment of you realizing how frail you are, that this storm is not anything you can do about it. Even though you are expert fishermen, there's nothing you can do. You feel vulnerable. You feel helpless. And you know what this trial should have done? It should have made you trust me more. I love what the late British preacher Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says about this particular part of this story. He says this, I don't know what you feel, but I never cease to be grateful to these disciples. I'm grateful for the record of every mistake they've ever made and for every blunder they've committed because I see myself in them. Mm. And how grateful we should be, he says, to God that we have these scriptures. How grateful to him that he was not merely giving us the gospel and left it at that. He goes on, how wonderful it is that we can read accounts like this and see ourselves depicted in them. And how grateful we should be to God that this is a divinely inspired word which speaks the truth and shows us every human frail. Oh, brothers and sisters, let us be grateful for this particular story this morning. 
that God in his kindness had Luke write this story down. Not so that we could stand back and say, what were the disciples thinking? But so that we could see ourselves in them. The question Jesus asked his disciples in the boat that day wasn't just meant for them. It was meant for us just as much. Where is your faith? So we can't just hear those words said to the disciples and not hear them said to us. Which means that we too must reflect on our response to Jesus when trials come. What's been your latest boat storm incident? Or something you felt completely vulnerable, unable to do anything about it, and your first response wasn't, Jesus, I trust you. It was, we're perishing! <laughs> we, we can all relate, can't we? Now let me ask you this question. Do you believe that trials exist to increase your trust in Christ? Is that often how we approach our trials? Trials come and we see it as this thing has got to go away. It's got to go away. And I'm praying that it goes away. There's nothing wrong with asking God, God, remove this trial. But according to the scriptures, God doesn't put trials in our life. Because they're just part of the fall. We just got to grit it and bear it and pray that he makes it go away soon. You know what trials do? Trials, when they come, are meant to increase our trust. See, the disciples, up to this point, they've seen Jesus do a lot of things. You would think they have it down by now. But you know what? They needed to be in a boat, out in the water, where they just can't get out of the boat. They don't feel safe. They don't feel comfortable. There's nothing they can do about it. They feel vulnerable. They needed that moment for them to realize, oh, we just learned something new about the Savior. Jesus had to put them in the most vulnerable place to imagine. Now they've seen Him raise the dead. They've seen Him do all kinds of miracles. But in that moment, they didn't need to see Him do a miracle to someone else. They needed them to say, Jesus, you care about me in this boat, in this storm. And I've just seen something great about you. That's why God puts trials in our lives. Now, friend, if you're not currently viewing your trials, whatever trial it is, as a, as a way to increase your trust in Christ, Jesus is calling you this morning to trust Him more. Those words to the disciples, they're for us. He's looking you in the eye, making eye contact, saying, where's your faith? Do you really think I don't have this one? Do you know how many, you know how many things I've brought you through? Do you know how many days and how many moments I've rescued you from? And do you think today I'm just asleep in the boat because I don't care? Or maybe I'm asleep in the boat so that you will come to your wits' end 
and you will see me do something you could have never imagined had you not gone through this. That's what God wants us to take away from this. The Savior is calling us to trust Him more. Now, what, what does that look like to exercise faith in Christ when trials come? It's easy to say that. We need to trust Christ more in trials. How do we do that? I think this text teaches us. See, this story instructs us what it looks like to exercise faith in Christ when trials come. How so? We're taught this by this story. We respond to Christ in light of the revelation we've received about Christ. That's what faith is. Faith isn't just something I muster up. I'm, I'm going to believe harder. Faith is what? Faith is me receiving revelation about Christ. Who is he? What does God say he is? What does the Bible say he is? Who has he shown himself to be? Now, I'm, I'm going to fix my eyes on that. Not on the waves, not on the water in the boat. I'm going to fix my eyes on that, and I'm going to respond accordingly. That's what faith is. Faith is remembering who Christ is and responding in light of that. Which is exactly what these disciples were learning to do that. Look at the rest of verse 25. After Jesus asked them this question, where is your faith? Luke tells us, and they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him? Now pay attention to the way in which this moment of revelation we're told affected these disciples in the boat that day. Look, look, look at what Luke tells us. Upon seeing what Jesus did, he tells us they were afraid and they marveled. They were afraid and they marveled. Why? Because they realized Jesus was far more powerful than the storm. He has authority over everything. And they're going to see it again. When this demon-possessed man that nobody can free, Jesus frees him. He has authority over the spiritual world. And they're going to see a woman who is completely unable to be helped by any doctor who's been struggling with an ailment. And Jesus is going to heal her by her touching his robe. And there's going to be a desperate father who's lost his son. And Jesus is going to tell him, get up. And he's going to get up. And that's what the disciples are discovering in this day, they discover Jesus has authority. He's more powerful than this storm. Now stop and think about how you would respond had you been one of the disciples that day. Put yourself in their shoes for just a moment. Now, I think we're less familiar with the experience of being in a boat during a violent storm while at sea. That's probably not the majority of us. You've probably never experienced that. I know I haven't. So I thought I would offer a different storm scenario. Imagine what it would be like to be in a house during an F5 tornado. Imagine being in this house during this F5 tornado that is barreling in your direction. And all of a sudden, Jesus 
He makes the swirling stop. And the storm disappears. I actually lived through a large tornado my freshman year of high school in the town I lived, by, lived in. The, the t- our town and the town next to us was hit by a massive tornado. It did millions of dollars of destruction. And though it didn't hit our street, it came close. And we had all the, 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 the winds that are around the tornado do tons of damage. And I still remember that night vividly. Because if you've ever heard a tornado sounds like a train, it sounds like a train. And I remember being huddled in a closet with my family. You could hear that thing outside. You could hear the sirens going. And you could hear this train, this, this sound of the wind that just kept getting louder and louder. And you're wondering, is this my last moment? Now imagine you're there in that house, hunkered down in the, in the closet, You can hear the sirens going. You can hear the tornado coming. And one of you realizes, wait, Jesus is asleep back in the bedroom. And you go find him. And he doesn't show a moment of panic. He just opens up the window, sticks out his head and says, enough. And it's gone. What do you think you'd do? Now you know what it's like to have been the disciples. They, they were afraid and they marveled. Think about the emotions and the expressions of amazement that came over them. But that's not all we're told they did. Not only were they amazed and marveled, we're told they ask each other a question. They ask each other the most important Question of all. Who then is this? We've seen him do a lot of things, but who is this? After seeing Jesus calm the storm, the disciples were left with this question. A question, listen, a question we must ask and answer. Who then is this? Is this. That's, that's why this passage is recorded in Holy Scripture, not just so that we would have some cool story about Jesus in a boat helping his disciples in time of need. Do you know why this is in your scriptures? So that you would ask the same question. Who then is this? Now listen, we, we must not ask this question about Jesus nor query his identity just so that we can check off the right theological boxes and make sure we're in the orthodoxy and not in the heresy camp. Here's the reason we must ask ourselves this question and answer it. It's for this reason. If we're going to trust Jesus with our life and with our eternity, then we've got to be certain who is If we're going to trust Jesus with our life and with our eternity, we've got to come to the realization of who He is. You see, I believe the disciples that day realized something about Jesus while in the boat that we on this side of the cross should know full 
well. Here's what we should know. We can trust Jesus with our lives. Isn't that what the disciples learned that day? They've seen Jesus bring people back to life. But that day they learned we can trust Jesus with our lives. He's not going to let us drown. Whatever happens, it's a part of his plan. And if they discovered that and we stand on this side of the cross, how much more should we be able to say? Oh, we can trust him with our life. We can trust him with our life. Listen, this is important. Not because we believe that he will never let anything bad happen to us. That would be a wrong way to interpret this story. Jesus will deliver you from every storm. He will deliver you, but it may be through death. When you get to see his face and be with him forever. (laughs) But he will deliver you. It just may not be miraculously. So we, we must not believe that we can trust Jesus with our life because nothing bad will ever happen to him. Us. We trust him. Here's why. Because he has perfectly secured the salvation of those who place their faith. That's why we can trust Him. He he has secured our salvation by dying on a cross and rising from the dead. Listen to these words, familiar words, from Romans chapter 8. you, you, You know them well, I'm sure. But I want you to listen to them now in light of this story. And I want to ask you this question. Do you ever think, where did the Apostle Paul just make some of the statements that he made. How did he know that? You ever think that maybe stories like this were the reason why Paul says what he does? And listen to what the Apostle Paul says, beginning in Romans Romans 8, beginning in verse 28, and then I'm going to skip ahead. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Now skip ahead to verse 37. In all things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. How could Paul say that? Because he had Stories like we just read that informed him, listen, no matter what you go through, nothing in all of creation, including a storm, can separate you from the love of Christ. Church, in just a moment, we're going to sing a hymn together entitled, Christ, Our Hope in Life and Death. And this this hymn is based on the first question of the Heidelberg Catechism, which asks that question, what is our hope in life and death? And as we sing that hymn in just a moment, my prayer is that you will be able to rejoice in the truth of this song. Listen to these lyrics. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone. Christ alone. What is our only confidence? That our souls to Him belong. Who holds our days within His hand? 
What comes apart from his command? And what will keep us to the end? The love of Christ in which we stand. What truth can calm the troubled soul? God is good. God is good. Where is his grace and goodness known? In our great Redeemer's blood. Who holds our faith when fears arise? Who stands above the stormy trial? Who sends the waves that bring us nigh unto the shore, the rock of Christ? Unto the grave, what shall we sing? Christ, He lives. Christ, He lives. And what reward will heaven bring? Everlasting life with Him. There we will rise to meet the Lord. Then sin and death will be destroyed. And we will feast in endless joy when Christ is ours forevermore. Oh, sing hallelujah. Our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah. Now and ever we confess Christ, our hope in life and death. Do these words resonate with you? Do they bring comfort to your soul? If not, ask yourself this question. What is your hope in life and death if it is not Jesus Christ? What is your hope? What is your hope for the rest of the day? And for tomorrow, what is your hope for eternity? What is your hope in life and death? Here's what we discovered today. Jesus can save us. Not because he was a superhero. Jesus could save us because he was first a man. And because he was a man, he could die on a cross for our sins. But because he wasn't just a man, he was God. He could live a perfect life which no man could ever live. And you know what he could do? Though he could die, he could rise. See, Jesus is no superhero because superheroes can't save. So therefore, we put all our hope and trust in him. And we do believe that Christ is our hope in life. And in death, I hope that's true for you this morning. That he is your hope in all of life and in death. Let's pray together. Father, you have revealed yourself clearly to us this morning. You have given us a spectacular display of Jesus Christ. Now may we respond accordingly to what you have revealed. And may the response of our heart be one of trusting you more. Though this is a room filled with 
many, many, many people who have placed their faith in you, their, their faith that saved them, and they have placed their faith in you many, many days since. But today, Lord, you're calling us all to trust you now. To trust you in light of the trials we are going through and the difficulties we're facing. So, Lord, would you help us to do that? We need your help. So, Lord, may we now, in light of this revelation, fix our eyes on Christ, not on the waves, but on Christ. And may the waves, may they take us to Christ so that we will trust you more, know you more, love you more, and be more amazed by you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us today. Now, Lord, I pray that for the rest of this day and throughout this week, what we've heard would inform how we live. We pray this in Jesus' name.